friends. Welcome to the Skyline Church Podcast. I'm Jonathan Middlebrooks, one of the pastors here at Skyline Church. Skyline is a worshiping community, a disciple-making community, and a generational community. We're committed to seeing revival in our city sparked through the presence of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. These sermons are specific to that purpose and in the context of our unique community. We hope that it might bless you in some way. Enjoy. New Year's Eve. So glad you came to church this morning. I, I'm excited to share. Uh, I love uh, I love New Year's. I love uh, planning. I love dreaming. I love visioning. Um, I love considering how my life is going and how I can improve it and what changes need to be made and what hills need to be charged. Anybody else? Anybody like love? Uh, I hate being gone over New Year's. It feels like it ruins my whole year. Like if I get back from like a vacation and it's like January 6th, I'm like, that's it. What's the good? I might as well wait till next year to, you know, do anything with my life. It's like, I love hitting the year like at a sprint. Um, And so over the years, I I have collected uh, things to help me do this and that I think uh, are helpful and I want to share with you this morning. uh, One is a framework with which that you can consider uh, the past year and really take some time, likely maybe later today, to like reflect, take an hour or two, take a walk, go sit outside in the cold and wind or something or find a coffee shop with a journal and and walk through your year. and really, because many times what happens is we don't mark the time. And so it kind of feels like our life is living us rather than us living purposefully in our life and making decisions. And if we just let year go on year, um, there'll, there'll be lessons that we didn't learn. There'll be thanks that we didn't give to God because we didn't pay attention closely enough to realize how close he was um, this whole year, how much he's done, how much we have to be grateful for. Um, But we also will have things that linger in our lives because we didn't put them to rest. Uh, We didn't face them and we didn't deal with them and we didn't bring them to God and actually have some closure. Um, So I love that every year. I love bringing like my year to closure to where that year is over and there's something new and I've dealt with it. I faced it. I didn't ignore anything. I didn't deny anything. So one's a framework. The other is is really some invitations for a new year and there's 10 of them. And and, uh, you're probably not going to do all 10, but hopefully you might catch one that will be an invitation for 2024 to live in new ways or to experience God in new ways. Um, And then finally, it is really a lens through which to see your life. Is that good? Um, And it's all based on scripture. It's not going to be an expository sermon, so I hate to disappoint you if you show up for that. Um, But it's going to be threaded through here, the biblical narrative, especially this beginning one. Uh, So the first framework, so open your phone note app or get a piece of paper. I want you to write this down. And you're going to think, is it really that important? Maybe not, but it'll make me feel better if you do that, if I see you do that. Um, uh, but I, I know a lot of times what happens is we're like, oh, I said something like that. So if, if we write these things down, it'll give you a chance to go back later and really dig in. 
So the first framework is one I've shared before. I've shared it on Good Friday a few times. And both of these are from a guy named Ronald Rollheiser, which is uh, just a, a, a fantastic author. He's, he's a Catholic um, priest, and he's just an amazing guy. Um, but the first framework is called, he calls it the Paschal Mystery. And it's a way to consider our life through uh, the lens of Good Friday, um, Easter Sunday, the 40 days where Jesus uh, was, was here with us, uh, his ascension, and Pentecost. And, and these five things have been really important for me to consider my life and to take stock of what's happened in my life, especially through the lens of um, losses, and especially through the lens of if you've had a year that's been difficult, where you're like, man, th this has been a year of sacrifice or pain or loss or grief. Um, this will be super helpful. And, and this is really important because too many times we just want to gloss over those things and start over. But the problem is, is you can't gloss over them. They stay with you, right? So I love Rob Reamer, uh, the guy who wrote the book Soul Care that we use so much. He said, you know, your pain in life is like, remember as a kid when you try to get on top of a beach ball in the pool and you try to stay on top of it? And it's like, he's like, you can do it for a little bit, but the problem is when you fall off or if you try to shove it under the water, right? When you fall off, you can't predict where it's going to go. Right? And our pain in life is like that too. You can press it down, press it down, but the problem is when it pops out, you don't get to choose when it, ha it just happens and the damage it causes uh, can be severe. And so what we want to do is rather than stuffing things on the surface, we want to bring them up and we want to look at them. We want to deal with them with the power of God's grace and in community, with the Bible as a guide. We want to do those things. So the first thing, um, he talks about Good Friday. He says, I'm going to say the five, and then I'm going to kind of interpret them for you. So you can write them down. So number one is name your deaths. That's number one. Name your deaths. Number two is claim your births. So you can see name your deaths is Good Friday. Claim your births is Easter Sunday. Number three, grieve what you have lost and adjust to the new reality. Grieve what you have lost and adjust to the new reality. That's the 40 days, right, where Jesus comes back and things are different. He's back, but they're not the same that they were before. Number four, so grieve what you have lost, adjust to the new reality. Number four, do not cling to the old. Let it ascend and give you its blessing. Do not cling to the old. Let it ascend and give you its blessing. That's Jesus' ascension back to heaven. And then number five, so do not cling to the old. Let it ascend, give you its blessing. Number five, accept the spirit of the life that you are in fact living. Accept the spirit of the life that you are in fact living. So let's go back to number one. Here's how you can process 2023 through this lens is you just sit down with a journal, you sit down with an open book, something like that, and you just walk through and just name, name the losses, right, of 2023. Um, any losses you experience, a loss of friendship, a loss, uh, which uh, uh, the death of a loved one, uh, the loss of a marriage, a financial loss or a loss of a business? Like, is there anything, a, a, a loss uh, of uh, your youth, 
You're like, man, I got injured this year and it told me I'm 45 years old. Anybody else? You're just like the death of youth is real. Um, and rather than ignoring it, you embrace it. You're just like, name it. Okay, I'm 45. This is real. I got, I got, to, I got, to, I got to think differently. So you name your death. So you actually like walk through. And, and um, they're, they're a good exercise to do this is one called Mountains and Valleys. Have you guys ever done this? So take January 2023 to December of 2023 and just mark the ups and downs of your life. Just say, hey, on, on, and sometimes you have to kind of go back through your calendar or you have to go back through your journal. If you're a journaler and just mark, man, what were the highs and lows of, of my life this year? What actually happened to me? And, and sometimes you would be astounded at, at how much has happened in one calendar year. How much change, how much transition, uh, how much difficulty you, you've been through. But it allows you to see it on paper and to acknowledge it and really in some ways to honor it as like sacred. Like your, your life and your experience is real and it matters. And it happened, right? 2023 happened. Whether everything happened that you wanted to happen this year, it did happen, and, and, and we need to take stock of it. So you, you name your, your deaths, you mourn your losses, and then number two is you claim your births, right? You celebrate your wins. Where were the wins on that thing? And, and you start to mark kind of where you went, and you can even mark like how high were your highs and how low were your lows. And you might come out and go like, man, my lows were pretty pretty good this year and my highs were super high you might be like man I didn't have very many lows this year but whew, they were low I had some low moments this year I had some difficult things but in this in this phase it allows you again to see both um, and what you might find is you might find something even about your personality that you're like man I identify the lows really easily <laughs> but I struggle to identify the highs or you might say, man, I really know the highs and oh, I hate admitting that that thing really hurt me or bothered me or that was a loss. Um, I, I, I did this exercise uh, a few years ago uh, at a pastor's retreat and it's funny because we've got a, a couple here from this pastor's church. His name's Andrew. He's from uh, Providence. And we're doing this. We did it together. He did his mountains and valleys and I did mine and, and we got through it and he goes, he goes, man, you are an expert reframer. And I was like, that's interesting. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, he goes, every single low, you were able to identify how God used it to take you back up. He goes, that's a gift. And I was like, oh, you're right. Like he like, and one of the clearest ways ever in my life, somebody called out like a, like a gift or ability or something that God had just wired me to do. And I was like, oh, and he goes, but <laughs> he goes, if you're not careful, you move so quickly to reframing things, you won't actually feel them. Because you don't want to actually sit in the low. And I was like, oh, man, he was right about that too. Dang. Because I, I want to get busy living or get busy dying, right? Any Shawshank fan, fans in here? I, I'm like, I want to identify what's wrong and I want to move. Because I don't like being in pain. I don't like being unhappy. It's, it's my, I, I really don't like it. You're like, that sounds weird. But it's, it's surprising to me how many people stay in something that doesn't work. And I just won't. Like, Annie and I, we laugh when our, our, we had babies. We were like, we have tried everything you ever could to get a baby to sleep. I promise you. We're on the stomach, on the side, on the back, in the bed, on the, in the car. I, I don't care. We're like, this baby will sleep. 
because we're, we're just going to will it to happen because we're just like, we will try everything. <laughs> and that's, that's kind of my nature. But I think as you do this, you'll, you'll actually discover some things about yourself um, that are important. And that's why it's also important to maybe do this with somebody else to say, hey, I, wanna, I just want to show you this and let you hear it, and let you watch it, let you feel. Am I avoiding anything? Is there anything I'm being less than honest about? Is there anything I, I need to face that I'm not facing? But, but it actually gives you a chance to, to mourn your losses, to celebrate your wins. And number three, I love this, to, to grieve what you've lost and to adjust to a new reality. So here's what I think is really interesting is, is as you go through life, your life will change. It will never stay the same. Can I just make you one promise that I know will come true for 2024? Your life in December 2024 will not be the same as it is in December 2023. It just is not. You are constantly changing. The world is changing. You get new challenges. You get new seasons of life. Um, and, and so much of our pain is an effort to hold on to the past and to keep recreating one season of our life instead of growing into the next season that God has for us and acknowledging uh, what time is it? Where am I at? Who am I? What is God doing? So life is always changing. You grieve what you've lost and you adjust to the new reality. What, what is the new reality of our season? Like I said, it's like whether you just got married or whether you're just now having babies. And, and it's fascinating to me how much people are like, they have a newborn, but they're trying to live life like they don't have one. And guess what? Your newborn does not care about your schedule or the things you did before or how much it's costing you. And uh, this, this week, we, we took a trip to San Antonio to go watch OU play in the bowl game. And we got done and you're just kind of like, oh man, that was a lot of work for just a two-day stint and half of a football game, because that's how long we lasted, was half the game. And it made me realize, like, oh, but this is what my parents, all of my childhood memories, underneath all of them is the sacrifice of my parents. Every single thing I possess from my childhood is the sacrifice of my parents, and now it's my turn to make long drives and to, to be a chauffeur and to be a coach and to do all these things and encourage and to bandage and to do all these. It's, it's my life right now to do that because we have small children, right? So I make peace with the new reality that we're in. And it's interesting because uh, most of my friends, I'm 45, most of my friends are on their way very, very quickly to empty nester because I, I had children later than most of the people I went to high school and college with. And it's easy for me to like kind of desire their reality because they've got a lot more freedom. But it's funny how much they kind of desire to go back because <laughs> they miss the days of having their children small and being able to hug them. This morning I woke up to just like our kids laughing upstairs and I just thought like, oh, what a blessing just to hear like little children laughing in the house. Someday that won't be here. So this new reality, I'm going to adjust this new reality. Number four, don't cling to the old. Let it ascend and give you its blessing. And this comes from, from uh, Jesus' ascension, right? Remember he, these words to Mary in the garden? He said, do not cling to me. She holds on to him. She wants Jesus to be who he was before. And he's saying, that, that's not the way things are going to be. Things are going to be different, but I promise you they're going to be good. But they will be different. They won't be what they were before. So it, it might be you're graduating high school in the coming year. Or you're graduating college or you're taking a new job and you're going to want to cling to an old life, to an old reality of who you got to be when things were that way. <laughs> and it, and it, it's just like the, the next phase of your life, you'll have to be someone different. Um, you'll have to learn new things. 
You live in the present that you're, yet you're living, but you don't cling to the old. You let it ascend and give you its blessing. Um, and, and this is really interesting because uh, we can cling to our old selves a lot. Right? Of, of who we were before things happened to us or before we had a certain age or a certain part of our career. And, and uh, Todd Lovelace said at one time, he said, the further you go up in leadership, the less choices you have. I hate that. I love choices. I want to do what I want to do. Anybody else? Anybody with that personality? Like I, like I was a kid, if you told me what to do, I'd do the opposite. Because then at least I'd be living for myself. I'd be like doing what I wanted to do, even if it was stupid. It's like, well, at least I chose it. And you're like, okay, good for you. So, but it's like, it, it's this thing of the, this new reality of like, oh man, the more responsibility you get, the less choice you have. And you can either bemoan it or you can embrace it as part of the journey that God puts human beings on to gain more and more and more authority. Your life is meant to go up and to the right forever in authority. Not, not in power to control people, but in authority to bless people. So, so somebody said at one time, you should plan your life to where you peak at 65. And they're there. So your most influential decade of your life is your 60s. The second is your 70s. The third is your 80s. The fourth is your 50s. So those of you in your 20s here, relax. Relax. It's okay. You don't have any authority right now. That's okay. You shouldn't. You're dangerous. I'm just joking. It's real. But like, you're going to grow for the next 40 years. And you're going to adjust to new realities about every three to five to seven to ten years. And you're going to get, you should, with God's grace, continue to grow in authority, in favor with God and with man. And when you hit your 60, I promise you, um, like, like, I could not imagine in my 20s, I wanted authority so badly, and I couldn't imagine how much I have in my 40s. It's more than I could have ever imagined. And, and yet, I feel like I'm just scratching the surface of what God can do in my life. Because I'm learning so much, and I've been humbled, and I get humbled over and over and over again. So I get lower and lower and lower, and my authority goes up and up and up and up. But you have to adjust to these new realities. You have to not cling to the old. You have to let it ascend and give you its blessing. And I'll just say this, especially the painful things. So, so this scripture is the core of this. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains but a single grain. But if it dies, it yields a rich harvest. Mostly what we want to do is we want to take the painful parts of our life and hold on to them. We, we just want to treasure them and grip them and hold on to our grief and our loss and our pain and our trauma. And God's saying, unless you let it go, it cannot bless you because it needs to become something other than that. And the only way it becomes something other than that is by you letting it go, planting it in the ground and then letting it actually bless you. Last one, accept the spirit of the life that you are in fact living um, some of us, we're struggling right now in our life because we just haven't given in to the fact of the life that we're living, right? Like I said, either we've got newborn or we've got small children or uh, we're working a job that's super demanding and we feel stressed. Our kids are playing sports. We're doing all this stuff. Whatever it is, it's, it's this idea that somehow we think we would be happy if we had a different life, 
right? We think if things were just going a little differently, if I had a little different title or a little bit more money or a little bit more this, rather than living with acceptance of this is where I am right now, how do I live the best life I possibly can in reality, right? How do I live well in my current circumstances, some of which I may be able to, to turn the dial and change, and some of them I couldn't change no matter what I tried? Right? It's just, things just are what they are right now. It doesn't mean they won't change. It means that me trying harder isn't going to change that thing. <laughs> right? And this is part of living wisely, is determining what parts of my life can I apply effort and intelligence and strength and giftedness to that will move the needle and what areas of my life I'll actually move the needle through surrender and humility and grace and just like letting go. And so much of our pain is by trying to apply power to things that require surrender <laughs> and trying to acquire, uh, uh, apply surrender in things that actually require your participation. God's saying, I need your help in this. You're going to have to learn how to live wisely. We'll talk about that here in just a second. So accept the spirit of the life that you are in fact living. There was a moment in my, my life, many of you know my story, where um, my, my first wife passed away in a car accident, and I had to accept the fact that I was single and alone. I couldn't pretend, right? I had to say, this is the life that I'm living. How do I live well right now? Not how do I live well once I find another wife, or how do I live well once I get a family, or how do I live well once the trauma of the accident has subsided. It's like, no, 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 how do I learn how to thrive today? Not just survive, but thrive. And the first point is just to accept the reality of what had happened to me. This is who I am, this is where I am, this is what I am in the moment. Um, and, and so that thing actually led me to make decisions and to live in a way that my life started getting better because I accepted it. The spirit of the life I was in fact living. Um, and so friends, uh, today, those things, I just, I just promise you, if you'll just work through those, just one through five, you will discover things about yourself. If you ask the Holy Spirit to guide you in those things, I promise you, you will hear some things from him that could shift your entire life. Uh, a, a life lived in reflection, I promise you, like if you just take an hour today and just get alone and just ask these questions of yourself, ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate your life. I promise you he'll, he'll work. Okay, so that's the first framework, all right? You good? Everybody good? All right, here's the second, second one. These ones are super, um, like, practical invitations that are biblical that I think one of these might stick in your life and might be something for you for the coming year to move into. But here, here's the idea is, is Rollheiser, he's like, he calls it 10 invitations to a mature life. I love this. Paul says this. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. I tell you what, one of the saddest things in life is to get older but not grow up. Just getting older doesn't make you wiser. Just having more information doesn't make you wiser. The ability to hear the word and to do it is what makes someone wise. The ability to, to take all that's happening in life 
and, and make something out of it into real decisions in how we talk, how we think, and our motives, how we treat people, it, it actually leads to the kind of blessing um, that I think we all want. But I, I just want to tell you, it is hard to do, and it's costly. But the writer of Proverbs says, at all costs, gain wisdom. At any price, get wisdom. Right? And I love this idea that there comes a point in your life where it's no longer about right or wrong, it's about is it wise? So many things we're doing in our lives, we're like, that's ah, not technically sinful. But nobody would call it wise. And I'll tell you, here's how you can tell. Uh, take the wisest person you know and tell them that thing and see what they say. And I bet you, you haven't told them because you know. <laughs> right? So, so take that TV show that you know uh, is, is full of stuff that you shouldn't be watching and go talk to your dad about it and see what he thinks. Or if your grandparents are alive, sit down and watch an episode of Game of Thrones with them and just ask them what they think. I bet you won't do it. My grandparents, I'm telling you, like, I remember Amy uh, talking about her, her grandpa said they wouldn't let him watch Bonanza because it was too violent. <laughs> you know, think of a little, a little smoke comes down, they're like, ah, the guy falls over and there's no blood. And they're just like, no, 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 like, I went through World War II. Violence is not something you entertain yourself with. Right, so, so wisdom, friends, I, I think Christians have an opportunity in this age, unlike maybe any other, we live in, in probably the least wise society in history. If we would learn wisdom and live well, we'll shine like stars. I promise you. So here, here's some invitations. Number one for 2024 is to live in gratitude and thank your creator by enjoying your life. I love this. Rollheiser says, the best way to thank a giver for the gift is to enjoy the gift. The best way to say thank you to God for your existence is to enjoy your life. God made you to enjoy the things that he's given you. So the Bible says to, to enjoy the wife of your youth. Why? Because you should enjoy being married. <laughs> if you're married, you should enjoy being a parent. You should enjoy uh, food and you should enjoy the earth and hiking and swimming and biking and all the things, painting and creating. Enjoy your life. This one wild and precious life God's given you. Enjoy it. Gratitude, I love Rollheiser says, is the basis of all holiness. The holiest person you know is the most grateful person you know. That's true for love too. The most loving person you know is also the most grateful person you know because even love finds its basis in gratitude. We owe it to our creator to appreciate things, to be as happy as we can be. Life is meant to be more than a test. And so we might add this to our daily prayer. Give us today our daily bread and help us to enjoy it without guilt. Whatever God's given you today, whether he's given you much or he's given you a little, enjoy it. Thank him for it. And, and I'll just tell you guys, like, the, the average American enjoys more abundance. The abundance we enjoy would blow the minds of people across the earth. Like, the fact that every single one of us today arrived here in a vehicle is incredible. And that you have shelter, and you have heat, and you have air, and you likely have food. And even if you didn't today, you would get it here. We'd provide it for you if you didn't have it. Whew. Praise God. The fact that we live in a free and peaceful, for the most part, society. 
Friends, like we, we get to live in such a way that we should be like, thank you, God, for this life. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Live in gratitude. Number two, be willing to carry more and more of life's complexities with compassion. The older you get, um, the more complex life becomes. <laughs> Simplicity is the gift of the young. Everything's black and white. Everything seems so simple. The older you get, the more you realize everyone you uh, know is making really complex decisions that they don't have most of the information they need to make and they're doing the best they can, right? So we, we carry more and more of life's complexity with empathy, with compassion. I love, Rollheiser says, maturity invites us to see, understand, and accept this complexity so that like Jesus, we cried tears of understanding over our own troubled cities, our own complex hearts. And like Jesus too, we can forgive others, the world, and ourselves for this complexity and imperfection. One writer said this, in the torment of the insufficiency of everything attainable, we come to understand that here in this life, all symphonies remain unfinished. And I know that sounds like, um, like a negative thing, right? That, that every symphony will, will remain unfinished. There's nothing in this life that will fully fulfill your heart. But that's because Ecclesiastes says this, God has set eternity in the hearts of human beings. Which means there is nothing in this life, even your children, even your spouse, even all the money in the world that could fill that eternity place in you. Only God can fill that. So if you realize that, what it does is it relieves the pressure of everything in your life having to be perfect and having to be Instagrammable, right? Every vacation having to fill some void, every job, every boss you have having to give you the kind of meaning that you feel like you need from them because you're like, listen, I know that this life isn't going to give me everything I need from it. I get that from God. God has these things for me. But if we're not careful, the writer goes on to say, this torment is generally like an undertow to everyday life. Beauty makes us restless when it should give us peace. The love we experience with others does not fulfill our deep longings. The relationship we have within our families seem too domestic to be fulfilling. Our job is inadequate to the dreams we have for ourselves. The place we live seems small town in comparison to other places. The ideal we have for our lives habitually crucifies the reality of our lives and makes us too restless to sit peacefully at our own tables, to sleep peacefully in our own beds, and to be at ease within our own skins. Our lives seem too small for us, and we're always waiting for something or somebody to come along and change things so that our real lives as we imagine them might begin. Friends, I, I, I just want to encourage you today to like embrace the difficulty of your existence. <laughs> when Annie and I had twins, we just, we made a commitment. We were like, we're going to have twins. The one thing we're not going to do is complain about it. We went from three children to five children and we're just like, we're just not going to complain. I'll tell you, it was the easiest transition we had because we didn't complain about it. It was just, it wasn't that hard because we knew it was going to be so hard <laughs> and we just embraced it. It's like, you don't complain about a marathon while you're running it, right? I've never run one. Trevor, I don't know. Do you, maybe you do, but you're like, you signed up for a marathon, right? Embrace it. Like just gut it out. We signed up for marriage and parenting and friendship and family and work. Like uh, let, let's embrace the complexity and the difficulty of this life. 
and know that, that some of these things will never get resolved and that's okay. If we know they won't get resolved, our expectations are changing, which means our disappointment levels will be different, right? Because I didn't expect my job to fulfill me. I didn't get married to complete me. That you complete me thing, guys, that just, just doesn't work, right? It's a movie. <laughs> it's a movie. Um, Jesus completes people. He makes people whole. He makes you a whole person who then can deal with other people's lack of wholeness in a way that allows you to love people, right? Number three, so two, be willing to carry more and more of life's complexity with empathy. Number three, transform jealousy, anger, bitterness, and hatred rather than give them back in kind. Any pain or tension that we do not transform, we will retransmit. Whatever doesn't get transformed gets transmitted. So I, I would just say, if you have stuff in your life, make 2024 the year that you're like, I will put these things to rest in this year. And we have Sozo and we have Soul Care and we pray and worship all the time and we have people to mentor and disciple and love you. If that's you, we want to get in the game with you. But don't go another year. Don't get to December 2024 and be like, I have got the same old stuff. It doesn't have to be that way. You can be transformed. You can change. Jesus changes lives. Let this year be the year that you're like, man, that bitterness toward my parent or toward my sibling or toward my child, toward my coworker or my neighbor, that thing's going away this year. Hello, Rob Reamer again. He says, I will process my pain at all costs. Whatever it costs me this year, whether that's money or whether that's time or whether that's tears, I will pay the cost this year to see my life transformed. The next one, let suffering soften your heart rather than harden your soul. He says this, there's no depth of soul without suffering. Some of us, um, we might be able to look in the mirror and say, man, I have allowed the difficulty of my life to harden me, to make me cynical. Uh, to make me uh, put up walls and keep people at arm's length. This is the year 2024 where I'm going to allow that to soften me. I'm going to allow this to be the year where I, I'm vulnerable and transparent. Um, but let suffering soften your heart rather than harden your soul. I think we're on number five. Forgive those who hurt you your own sins, the unfairness of your life, and God for not rescuing you. <laughs> I don't know which of those you're like, I need to maybe deal with that, but to, to, to operate in forgiveness to those who have hurt you, to forgive yourself for your own issues, your own sinful patterns, the unfairness of your life. Can I just say, guys, some of you have lived lives that are so unfair, and I am so sorry for that. Um, it's true. Like, it's just real that there are people who have dealt with a level of unfairness and injustice and pain and trauma that is just, it's hard to fathom. And yet I, I know that God loves you. And I know that he has something for you. Um, and I know that someday he says, I will put all these things to rights. He's like, someday you will live and walk in freedom and joy that will make all those things seem like light and momentary troubles, Paul says. But in the midst of it, the way we deal with it now is we, we try to operate in supernatural, radical forgiveness. 
And one of those is, is maybe actually for, forgiving God, right? I know that sounds like a weird statement. Not that God's done anything wrong, but our own posture toward him for not rescuing us. Because I don't know why God doesn't rescue us every single time we're in danger and trouble and when we get hurt. Um, I don't know why. But I know that God's God and I'm not. I know that the fact that I don't know why doesn't mean that God doesn't know what he's doing. Um, Rollheiser says this, in the end, forgiveness is our greatest psychological, moral, and religious struggle. It's not easy to forgive. Most everything inside of us protests. Moreover, all of us have been wounded. No one comes to adulthood with his or her full heart fully intact. Can I just tell you that? There's not a single person who gets to adulthood with their whole heart intact. In ways small or traumatic, we've all been treated unjustly, violated, hurt, ignored, not properly honored, and unfairly cast aside. We all carry wounds, and with those wounds, we all carry anger, bitterness, and some non-forgiveness. But friends, one person put it this way, bitterness is like drinking poison and hoping it kills the other guy. Right? So let this be the year that you're like, I'm going to put down the drink of bitterness and I'm going to pick up forgiveness and grace and mercy for my enemies. I'm going to bless those who persecute me. I'm going to let things go. Which is the next one. Bless more, curse less. <laughs> We're more mature. We are mature when we define ourselves by what we are for rather than what we are against. The capacity to praise more than to criticize defines maturity. Friends, anyone can find the problems. It takes special, mature people to find the good in this world and to praise it in the midst of the problems. Or as I like to say, the cynic knows the cost of everything and the value of nothing. I want you to hear that. The cynic knows the cost of everything and the value of nothing. Cynicism eats away at your heart. Let it go. It's easy to be cynical against the church, against your parents, against your friends, against the world, against Republicans, against, I don't know, who, who in your life? Democrats, other religions. And what does it do? It never produces anything good in your life. It never produces good. It can't produce good. But loving kindness toward people always produces good, right? Bless more, curse less. Next one, live in a more radical sobriety. I love this one because this isn't actually about like drinking or drugs. It could be. Um, but I love, he says, uh, a, a recovering alcoholic once told me sobriety is only about 10% about alcohol or a drug. It's 90% about honesty. You can drink if you do it honestly. Indeed, you can do anything if you don't have to lie about it. Friends, that's wisdom. You have freedom to do anything that you can tell the truth about to the people you love and care and respect. If you can sit in front of your wife and tell her to her face, I think you're probably okay. Right? Like I said, a, a godly person in your life that you love and respect for me it would have been my grandpa. He's the most holy man I know. Oh, there are things I've done in my life I would have never wanted to sit down and tell him to his face. I was just like, oh, I don't want to like, like make his brain think these things. Because he was just like the most righteous, holy little man. Like he's just like sit in front of the TV and watch TBN all day. And like pray for us. 
all he did in his 80s was basically pray for people. This Bible open, that was it. And so I just think of this thing, this radical sobriety. What if 2024, you're like, I'm going to live the kind of life I can tell the whole truth about. I don't have to hide. I don't have to delete my internet history. I don't have to worry if I like the wrong post and someone saw what I was looking at. I don't have to do those things. And maybe 2024, it's better to cut your hand off if it causes you to sin than to keep managing it. And whether it's technology or your money or what you watch or what you listen to or how you talk or where you go, what if this year you lived in radical sobriety? Transparency. When we do something wrong and then cover it up and lie, it's not so much that the particular thing that we did wrong that harms us, it's the lying about it afterwards that does the real damage. We are all weak, we all fall, we all commit sin. God understands this, and it's not so much the sin itself that harms us. What causes the real harm is lying, covering up, sneaking around, not being transparent, living a dishonest life. Why is lying the ultimate moral canker? Whew, that's an interesting way to think about it. Lying ultimately destroys us because the human spirit is not made to live in dishonesty and duplicity. When we do wrong, we either have to stop doing what we're doing or in honesty and contrition admit our weakness. Otherwise, our spirits will spontaneously begin to harden and warp. Such is the anatomy of the soul. It cannot tolerate moral duplicity for long without having to reshape and distort itself. Why do we tell our children not to lie? Because we know it will misshape you over time. If you don't tell the truth, if you learn how to hide, it will change who you are. But it's not just children, it's adults. So what if this year we lived in more radical sobriety? This year, 2024, what if we prayed more? <laughs> and, and this, I love this, effectively, not effectively, not you got more answers, effectively prayed more with your heart to Jesus? What if you opened your heart more to operate in the first commandment, the first and greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, to pray with your heart? Be wide, number nine, we're almost done. Be wide in your embrace. What if you've more fully opened your heart to more people who are different than you, who rub you the wrong way? This is what I love about the church, and this is what I love about... I will die on the hill now for the idea that the church building matters. We went through a phase where it's not about the building. You can have church anywhere. Here's why the building matters. It's because anybody who walks through those doors can be part of this church. If I start a church in my home, you know what I'll probably do? I'll invite all my friends. And they'll probably look like me and act like me and like the same people as me and hate the same people as me and have the same amount of money as me and we'll go on vacations together and we'll do all this stuff. Well, this great spiritual life. And you know what won't happen? I won't have people in there that force me to encounter myself in a way that forces me to change and challenges who I am and what I'm like. That's what the church does when it's open and anyone can show up. <laughs> And again, the whole thing, if you find a perfect church, don't go there because you'll ruin it, right? <laughs> this is not the perfect church. This church is full of people with lots of backgrounds and lots of ideas and lots of theologies. And we're trying to unify on one thing. This is the thing that we're trying to unify on, Jesus. That's it. We preach Christ crucified. 
That's it. We can unify around him. The thing, once you split past Jesus, I promise you, you will start to tribalize. You'll start to separate and you'll start to judge and you'll start to categorize and you'll start to condemn because that's what humans do. I don't know why, but that's what we do. But we can unify on Jesus and here we can be wide in our embrace. I love that. Last one. Stand where you are supposed to be standing and let God provide the rest. This is one of my favorite things. Stand where you are supposed to be standing and let God provide the rest. Rollheiser tells this story. He says, a number of years ago, one of my cousins died in an industrial accident. He'd been helping load some railway cars at a grain terminal when a cable pulling the cars away snapped, sprang back with thousands of pounds of tension, um, and killed him. He died en route to the hospital. He was young in the prime of his life, a talented athlete who enjoyed playing sports on a number of local teams. Tragic and as sad as his death was, his family and loved ones had some consolations. His last days had been good. His last touches had been warm. He had dropped in for lunch with his mother just a few days prior to his death, enjoyed a great visit, and on leaving had kissed her a warm goodbye, assuring her of his affection. Several weeks earlier, he had taken his youngest brother, who idolized him, on a short vacation to watch baseball games. He had, as far as anyone knew, parted on peaceful terms with everyone, and he had died doing his job. Loading grain carts was his job, and when that cable snapped and killed him, he was standing where he was supposed to be standing at that moment. Indeed, had he not been there, someone else would have been, and that person would have suffered his fate. He died at his post, doing his job, working honestly, earning a living, a victim of contingency, standing where he was supposed to be standing. Ultimately, that is all we can try to assure for ourselves. We can try to be standing where we are supposed to be standing. All of us, without exception, irrespective of age or health, are vulnerable, contingent, mortal, one heartbeat away from leaving this planet, one stroke away from losing control of our lives, one accident away from knowing how illusory is the sense of our own strength, and one broken cable away from dying in an ambulance. We can be careful with our lives, live prudently, try to ensure our own safety and the safety of our loved ones, but ultimately we are inadequate. We cannot ensure our continued heartbeat. So what can we do? We can stand where we're supposed to be standing. Right? So this is the question as we just kind of wrap. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. In the midst of all these things, the question for me that I come back to because of this little idea is, am I standing where I'm supposed to be standing? And and I think of it in these terms, as a disciple of Jesus, am I standing where I'm supposed to be standing in these days? As a husband to Annie, am I standing where I'm supposed to be standing in these days? As a father to six children, am I standing where I'm supposed to be standing in these days? As a leader of a church, am I standing where I'm supposed to be standing in these days? I want to really consider those things because if those things are in the right place, I'm at peace with what happens in my life. Whether I live or die, whether I prosper or suffer, it's going to be okay. The worst pain is not the the worst things we can think of happening. I think the worst pain is missing that, is to not be standing where we're supposed to be standing. So the question is, is, what is God calling you to do in these days? Where is he calling you to stand? 
And this isn't about his like particular will, like he's got one little plan for you. It might just be where you're at in the season you're at. You're like, I'm in high school, I'm in college, I'm going to grad school, I'm, I'm, I'm launching into my career, I'm getting married, I'm a young parent, whatever it is, I'm an empty nester, I have grandchildren now for the first time. Where are you supposed to be standing? What should you be doing with your time and your talent and your resources? But I love that he says, he says these things, which I think is really sweet. Um, he said his last days had been good and his last touches had been warm. Isn't that beautiful? That, that each day you have a, t- a, a, a chance for your, your interactions with people to be good and your touches to be warm, that's what you can do is to stand in the place God's given you to stand and to be faithful and to be loving and to be kind and to be warm and to pay attention. And so I just want to encourage you as we end 2023 and move into 2024, take some time to consider, take stock of your life. Don't let it rush past. Don't make grand plans for next year without doing some of these things. Right? Because what do you say? We plan and God laughs. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't plan. I love planning. But I want to plan through a different kind of lens. How does God want to use me in 2024? Right? So I want you to stand to your feet. And I want to pray a blessing over you. I want you to close your eyes and open your hands. Because this is the way we want to like exit the years, just open hands. We want to enter a new year with open hands. I was reading this blessing. This is the ironic blessing, right? Not ironic, ironic. Um, the blessing of Aaron in Numbers 6. And I read a part of this blessing that I had never read before. At the end of this blessing, he says, so shall the, uh, he, he tells Aaron to bless the people with these words. He's like, I want you to bless them specifically with these words. And then he says, so shall they put my name upon the, the people of Israel and it will bless them. Isn't this fascinating? This blessing was meant to put a name on people. And when I read the blessing, he says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. But that, that word, the Lord is actually Yahweh. It's his name. It's not just Adonai. It's not a descriptive. It's his actual name that he's like, I want to put my name on you with blessings. I want you to close your eyes. I want you just to receive this for a second. That God actually wants to put his name on you to end this year. He wants to claim you for his own. He wants to process your life with you. He wants to listen to you and walk with you. That's why he says, talk about these things when you lie down and when you get up and when you walk along the road, like let these things be on your heart and on your lips. Let your heart be lifted to me. But I just want to wrap this year before we end in worship and we'll have a time to pray. I want you to hear this blessing of God on you. Yahweh bless you and keep you. Yahweh make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Yahweh to lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. Yahweh bless you and keep you. Yahweh who makes his face shine upon you 
and be gracious to you. Yahweh lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Peace for the past. Peace for today. Peace for the coming year. In Jesus' name.